Welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, CEO of the Executive Connection. We connect leaders with a trusted network of people who help them succeed. <laughs> so our musical background <laughs> and my special, special guest today is Dr. Robert Dew, who is a customer experience, innovation and competitive strategy expert, among many other things. Rob is the lead author of two books, Lean CX and Customer Experience Innovation, How to Get a Lasting Market Edge. Robert has advised organisations for over 20 years and lectured MBAs at eight universities across Europe, Asia and Australia. He is renowned for challenging the status quo. Rob Dew, welcome to Tech Live. Oh, thank you. That's so nice of you to say those things. It's very weird to hear back your bio read, read out by somebody else. It, well, it's like, it was nice of me guy? to say it. I did read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, a, a really interesting guy with a, a very um, interesting academic background. But what we're going to talk about right now is your view on the different ways that businesses can grow. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of only a couple of theories that we've looked at about how businesses grow. The dominant one in Australia right now for big businesses is that the way that we're going to grow is that we're going to shrink. So <laughs> we're going to do some kind of digital transformation and hack out a whole bunch of people out of our organisation and that's going to magically improve our profits. Yeah. And, um, and that's no different really from getting rid of the plants in a way. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's... Like it's, it might be clever in the short term, it's not clever in the long term, but it meets a whole bunch of linear thinking requirements. Okay, right? go on. And, um, and so we looked for a year at companies that grew a different way. Mm -hmm. So if you go back pre-COVID and you look at the Australian stock market and you think about the top, you know, largest thousand companies in Australia, it's very difficult for somebody to identify a company pre-COVID that's got more than 10 years revenue growth, sorry, more than 10% revenue growth in yeah. three years in a row. That's yeah. very hard to find one. Yeah. And if you go to the States and Europe, you'll find lots of companies that, that do that. Mm. Um, poster child for this, of course, is um, Amazon. Even before Amazon Web Services came out, over 15 years, Amazon started at $5.6 billion turnover and grew never less than 20% a year. In some years, they grew more than 40. Yeah. Now, the academic in me, and please don't run, run I know that people don't, don't <laughs> like it. The academic in me is like, how does that happen, right? And then the businessman in me is like, if I knew how to do that, yeah, you could right. make some money out Would of it that, right? Would it be great? So, so we spent a year researching companies that had met this requirement. They were large and that they had grown their top line more than 10% three years in a row. Mm. And the formula that we came up with was pretty, um, pretty simple. Okay? Yeah. The most important thing that they did is they did a very particular kind of innovation. And um, McKinsey had this thing called the Three Horizons yeah. strategy. And, and in the Three Horizons strategy, all of the growth in these companies came from Horizon 2. So it didn't come from uh, Horizon 1, right? which is incremental stuff you can do with no money this year. But do it harder and better and... It also didn't come from a moonshot. Yeah, that's interesting. Right? And, and in particular, this Horizon 2 strategy is that they picked was implemented on the customer side so it wasn't an internal facing strategy it wasn't about changing their resources so it was not a digital transformation internally to get efficiency right? yeah it was a market facing innovation and in all cases it it resulted in what we would call an adjacent market position and there's, there's two bits to that 
if you do more than incrementally improve your product and service, but less than transform it, mm. then you're kind of evolving it, right? Mm. And so, and is that your that's Horizon One? No, Horizon that One is, is an incremental improvement. Yeah. Right. What color would you like? Yeah. Yeah. Horizon, um, Horizon Three, right? Is a is absolutely a transformation. Yeah. Let's make it virtual. Yeah. Right. In the middle of that. Yeah. Right. In the middle of that is is something a bit different, right? It's more than incremental, less than a less than a moonshot. Yeah, right. The second thing that happened is all of those companies grew by finding very interestingly uh, a nearby customer group, not the customer group that they were servicing mm. right now, and not a foreign customer group, but a neighbouring one. Yes. So nearby customers with an evolved product or service that's a kind of core part of the the growth strategy. Turns and out I'm also... Just, and what's interesting here, if I mm. seem like I'm a little slow to catch on, it's mm. because I'm trying to apply my own situation to this. So I'm kind of thinking, 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 oh, yeah, we're doing that thing, that's good. Where are we going? Everything I'm doing, I'm putting in my horizons. But keep going because this is so interesting. So it's it's an evolution and I love what you're saying by about a nearby customer group. Yeah. yeah. And, and so let me give you a, um, like a, a really simple mm. example of this um, for one of our... Um, one of our customers who did this before we even consulted to them. So I'm not claiming credit for this. We've helped them since then um, take advantage of it, which is kind of cool. So Fiber King's a 96-year-old, fourth-generation manufacturing company, mm. and they make end-of-line packaging equipment. So they make the machines that take finished product and put it into a case. Yep. And they're engineers, so they call that a case packer. Mm-hmm. Right? And then they take finished packed cases and they put them onto pallets with another machine and they call that a palletizer. And then they put the conveyors in place to connect those together. So it's very engineering-y focused. Yes. And they've got awesome competency around, around doing that. They're, mm-hmm. they're very, very good with doing that. And they service a number of um, verticals in Australia, but generally the long-term trend out of most verticals in Australia is that manufacturing has been in decline, not in not in growth. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and in fact, if you think about one of their core markets, which is um, which is beer, beer is in long-term decline in Australia, except for one part of the whole beer market. Where do you reckon all the beer growth is coming from, by the way, Steph? <laughs> Here we go. I know you're not a beer drinker, so it's probably well, unfair. Well, you're correct, but from, um, what's the word, boutique? Yes, craft beer. Exactly yeah. right. Uh, there you go. Look at I that. just had the Business word wrong. Business genius. No. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Plenty of them would happen to be called boutique beer, right? Good. And um, the interesting thing for a craft beer manufacturer is that they're, they've got, they're an adjacent or nearby customer for Fibre King compared to, say, someone like a Carlton United Brewery, yep. right? Yeah. But they're different in the fact that their whole scale of operations is totally small. Right. Mm. So a normal case packer costs about a half a million dollars. A craft brewer normally has one person packing stuff into a case yeah. who might cost $60,000 a year. So there's yeah. no payback on that. But the evolved product mm. is to work out how to how to actually take a case packer, shrink it down in size a bit, make it a bit slower, make it a bit stupider, but uh. be able to sell it for $150,000 rather than $500,000. Right. Um, Fiber King invented in the world the very first um, case packer at this size and speed. Right now, they can tell you more correctly all of the the technical stuff about that. But as a market strategist, this is perfect because for them it looks like product for prospect, 
Mm. Um, the very first product that you would sell to a craft brewery. Mm. It's an evolved product, even though it's devolved, and it's an adjacent market position. And since then, um, they've gone on to be really successful. They've sold whole production lines at the proper scale to Bolter, to uh, Stone and Wood, who I'm sure um, plenty of people have heard of, and, and other craft breweries that are growing. So really interesting concept, but exactly the poster child for that. So you've said something very interesting, though. You said it's an evolved product, but it's actually devolved. So it doesn't mean evolving means it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger it can be that you are deconstructing your product and taking parts and creating something new oh, is that right a- absolutely we, we're primed to think about things as humans now this is my creative problem solving professor hat on right um, we're primed to think about things as humans as the unit that we consider them at we don't consider the components of those things so mm. when we normally want to improve something we add something onto it we don't take something away yeah but think about the in, um, invention of um of short messaging service right mm-hmm. the short messaging service is the idea that i'm going to have a phone call that's neither instant so it's not as good as that mm. and it doesn't involve sounds mm. yeah SMS does something very important for the telecommunications network, though. It gives it, Originally, it gave them a way to be able to charge extra mm. to sop up network capacity. Mm. And it invented a whole category of, of communication that we didn't have before. Okay. Well, that's interesting, and thank mm. you for that diversion. <laughs> <laughs> Let's now get back to Horizon 2. Yep. So, adjacent customer... Evolve product. Improve your customer experience is a core part of that. Okay. And that normally involves a combination of some digital to make some savings, but then not cashing the savings in, reinvesting the savings into improving the people bits of what you do. Yep. So So it's higher value. You've got your people doing higher value customer facing. Yeah. And not just your people doing, um, but your customer value proposition is enhanced. Yes. Okay. So... Uh, at the other end of town, I'll, I'll give you a really small example of, of this kind of experience improvement. There is a, a lovely Moroccan restaurant called Afus in, mm. um, in Melbourne. And when we arrived at this restaurant, we were greeted um, at the door by the owner who was holding on to two little perfumed um, oil um, canisters. And he took our hands in his hands. He put this perfumed oil on our hands um, to make sure that our hands were clean. Um, and he got us to rub our hands together. It smelled beautiful. Mm. Right? And then he said in his beautiful um, Moroccan accent, he said, welcome home. And so oh. this, now this is a, this costs nothing, nothing to do, yeah. but such a remarkable change in experience that it's worth um, mm. talking about. And that's a core part of why companies who do a correct horizon to innovation grow because they create a result that's worth sharing. It's surprising in a good mm. way. Right? It's not, it's not surprising in a bad way. It's not shocking. Yeah. Cause that's what we will share that's stuff that's shocking. That's the other shocking. thing we we'll talk about. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I don't want my business to be talked about because it's shocking. No. I want it to be talked about because it's surprisingly good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are experience changes that you can make when you deal with customers that are surprisingly good, regardless of the size of your business. Mm. If they're worth talking about, your business will grow because you'll get free advertising. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Okay. That's great. What else in growth? Otherwise companies are growing. So the normal way that companies grow is either to crunch cost out of something mm. and, and try and therefore be the lowest priced provider mm. by being the lowest cost provider. Ultimately that's not sustainable. The other thing that you'll see is you'll see that companies try and do um, product differentiation or service differentiation. Mm. So they'll try and have a feature set that's different um, Mm. from someone else. And they're kind of, it's kind of like three ranges of return, right? So the price return, you will get an uptick, but only for a short while and then everyone will match your price. Mm. At the other end, 
the experience return is kind of lasting because it's a bit more complicated and it's hard to work out what it is that's causing customers to choose you. In the middle is this product and feature set. And so best example I can give you that is um, Afterpay. Yep. All right, so do you know what Afterpay is? I know Afterpay very well, actually. Oh, that doesn't bode well. Are you a shopper? No, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's not from shopping. It's actually from people. Okay. Yeah, so I'd love to hear what you've got to say about it. So the, the story of Afterpay is spectacular. Nothing to millions, of, from nothing to millions of customers mm. in just a couple of years. And the reason is, is that they thought deeply about what it meant to get a credit card. Now, mm. when, when I grew up, and I'm like 950 mm. million years old, right? Totally, I can say it. Yes. Yep. I, was, I was a child in the Pleiozoic era. So my parents convinced me that credit cards were scary things like drugs. And the last thing you wanted to do was try them a little bit, right? And then yeah. end up with a balance that you can never get rid of. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not here to talk to you about credit card strategy, but I believe that there are a bunch of credit card companies out there who would be very happy if their customers never ever paid off their their balances. And it's quite difficult if you are new um, managing money and managing consumer credit to be able to avoid that trap mm. of ending up with a large balance that mm. you end up paying interest for on in your credit card. What Afterpay offered people was a very, very compelling offer. It said, we're going to give you a credit card without a card. It's only going to work for one purchase. Yeah. And we're going to preset your repayments in advance as four repayments so that you can avoid paying interest. Yeah. So you've got all of the benefit of being able to instantly buy something that mm. you don't have the cash for right mm. now, but you weren't going to pay interest. And so that one change has enabled them to grow remarkably inside a market that's overcrowded for mm. opportunities for consumer credit. However, here's the flip side, and this is why it's not strategy, right? Or it is strategy, but mm. it's not long-term strategy. You've now got uh, PayPal, yeah. Apple Pay, mm. the Commonwealth Bank, all intending to bring out um, buy now, pay later uh, offers. They're going to look exactly the same as Afterpay. They're just going to have a different name on the front. So the feature just just trying to compete on features ultimately is going to be a problem because people just copy what the leader's doing in the market. Yeah, and it's even worse than that because actually the first person to do it takes the most risk. Yeah. And what they do is that they validate. Yeah, for everyone else. For everyone else. Now let's flip it to where you can go first and win, right? So my favourite story about this is um, is how Walmart grew. In the original days of Walmart, their theory of purchase, and we should talk about theory of purchase, mm. but Walmart's theory of purchase was people who live in regional America go to town to go to a department store once a year for the big trip, yeah. the, the big shopping yeah, trip. Yeah. If we put a smaller department store closer to them, maybe they'd come in once a month. Yeah. Now, that's their theory of purchase, right? Yeah. And at the time, this was not considered to be um, the way that a department store is going to grow. But, of course, you, we all know the end of the story. Walmart's mm. huge now. And they went to town in those regional areas mm. and they said to the, the person who owned the land beside the centre of town in the, in the regional township, they said, look, I know that you've got this underperforming farmland and your kids have gone off to university and they're not coming back to run the farm. Would you like me to buy your underperforming farmland off you at a very reasonable price? Yeah. And in plenty of cases that they bought the land, built the Walmart, and yep, they proved this story. People would come once a month to the department store, the Walmart in the local town. So, of course, what did the competitors do immediately that they saw that there was this market here that they weren't in? The Kmarts and the JCPDs and the Sears and Robux, Robux and Macy's and all those people. What they tried to do was to go and buy the piece of land beside Walmart and put up a store similar to Walmart's mm. to get a share of that market. And, of course, when they went and talked to the farmer who owned that land and said, we'd like to buy your underperforming farmland for a reasonable price, that farmer said, no, 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 well, I don't have underperforming farmland. Yeah. I've got prime regional um, yeah, development yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, space and it's and Walmart proves to me that it's worth something. Yeah. 
So there's, there's this really compelling thing that either you've got to do something that's complicated to copy or yeah. you've got to do something that when you do it, you change the price so the people who come after you have to pay more. Yeah. Now, most of the time we don't experience that. Most of the time the people that come later actually, actually cost them less. Yeah, right, and that's the trap, isn't it? Well, that's why it's not just tactics, right? That's why it has to be a strategy. You've got to mm. think about what's going to happen in the future so you're hard to copy. Boy, there's a lot. Boy, you talk quickly, but apart from <laughs> how fast you speak, Rob, there's so much strategy in here. And I'm just going to try and summarise where I think we're up to. Tell me what we're missing because I can see we're going to need to get you back to talk about <laughs> customer strategy. So I think there's a f- – most people know the McKinsey Three Horizon model. Sure. And the latest thing I heard was, well, you've got to work in multiple horizons at once. And, of course, you do because you've got to keep BAU going. Mm-hmm. But that idea of it's actually horizon two, that's where your your interesting growth is, a evolved product, a adjacent customer yep. segment or whatever, and adjacent, adjacent customers. I really like that. Then you were talking about if you go first with your strategy, that make sure that you're doing something that actually changes the price of it for the followers. That, that's one way. Or yeah. make sure that what you're doing is complex. Complex, though. So from the outside, it's not obvious how you did it. Which is fundamental business strategy MBA 101, isn't it? Just MBA 201. Right? Oh, right. I like well, to think of know. the strategy department as being a level up. Well, you right? see, that's – and I'm just going straight to the advanced version, clearly. <laughs> yeah. So I think... Um, that's why the experience part's important. Yeah, oh, and the customer experience. If you're going to build your differentiation on a specifiable feature set, yes, then you need to make sure in the market that you change the price for the people that come after you for them to copy that feature set. Yes. Because it's specifiable. But if you're going to base it on an experience, which is a little bit harder to specify, more complicated, then you can maintain a lasting advantage yeah. without doing that. I've got one thing, one example of that that you'll really love. In the States, there's a, a group of people who will buy a BMW and when they buy a BMW car, they don't even need to test drive it first. It's uh, and there's one of those in Australia. Other than you. <laughs> the last three cars I've purchased, I don't know, I've just said, well, it's a BMW, I assume it goes. They were my words. Awesome. Now, I could say to you, think about that decision, but actually what I want to ask you to do is feel about that decision because it's not a rational position. No. And then you're, you're not buying it for a set of features. You're buying it for something about how you feel about totally. a BMW, right? I love the look of it. I mean, this is a while ago, but I love the look of it and the brand was great. The, well, the brand sort of suited where I wanted to be. Mm. It felt right. I didn't, I, well, I assumed it was going to go fast or drive, but that's not what I was buying it for. Right. So if I'm Hyundai mm. and I want to compete with BMW mm. or I'm Toyota and with our Lexus brand, I want to compete with BMW... I ca- my engineers cannot get their head around what it is that makes mm. you feel like that because mm. it's not, is it a leather steering wheel or is it a five-speed gearbox, mm. is it an overdrive, is it a push-button start? That's not what is the difference. It's something yeah. more complicated than that. That's hard to copy. You're right. It is hard to copy. And just it's interesting, a conversation I was having today with a family member who bought a new car and she said, I keep finding these amazing features 
that no one told me about. <laughs> yeah. And she said the service was so dreadful. If they just told me this one thing, I'd be on cloud nine. So something else I want to say about that customer experience is if you're going to differentiate on customer experience, then you have to actually truly deliver it. You can't just say we're going to do X, Y, Z or come to us because we're amazing. You actually have to be that, don't you? I love it that you would say that. Saying that we deliver good customer experience and not delivering it yeah. is still delivering an experience. It might not be the <laughs> oh target God. experience that you want to deliver. This is a bit like yeah, not right. deciding is still by default making a decision. A decision. Yeah. So the really important part of this is historically when we thought about brand building in, mm. in, and you think about the 1950s where mm. you brought out your innovation, you put it on the television mm. and, um, you know, and your archetype actor or actress kind of presented this perfect world and people were like, oh, wow, that's great. Well, my kids were born being advertised to in the womb, right, mm. incidentally, mm. and then they have this huge bullshit detector on their forehead, which means that we don't believe what companies say about themselves anymore. What we actually believe is what another customer says about a company and they don't talk about your marketing material. They talk about what they remember about the experience that they mm. got and only the bits that are good or bad, not the bits that are in the middle. Mm. So I really love this because there's this concept around consistency because there's um, an inappropriate focus on scale. Mm -hmm. And the idea of cutting out all of the variability in what you're doing in order to grow it is great if you're selling coal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It might even work a bit if you're selling apples, though you can imagine how it would sell less. Yeah. It's going to be much harder to get that to work if you're selling fashion, even less if you're selling movies. Yeah. And even less if you're selling a restaurant experience because what you're really trying to do at the end of the day is consistently surprise people and mm. that conflict means you've got to get inside people's heads mm. and most businesses that i know aren't starting with this idea of what is my customer's mindset and what is their feeling mm. about what we're doing so therefore what experience do they need to have most customers that most businesses that i know are going how do i extract more profit from mm. from my current operations and the customer comes after that yeah. or they start with and this is what we do we do this and then we do this sure so I think that's a good point to kind of pull this together or wind this up because I think there's a short, sharp conversation with you at another stage about customer strategy. I love that you think that this conversation was short and sharp. No, this one wasn't. <laughs> this one wasn't. But I'm promising, dear listeners, the next one will be. All right. I say it sometimes uh, and, and the crew here know that this is one that people will need to listen back to. And, and with an old-fashioned pen and paper, I suggest, <laughs> and just scribble some ideas, think again, go back and listen. That's been so interesting. And thanks very much for joining us on Tech Live, Dr. Robert Dew. Thank you. Discover more about tech at tech.com.au.